Good morning, Desert Cities Church of Christ. It is such a privilege to be with you guys uh, this morning. And, you know, it is incredibly exciting in the Desert Cities Church as we are starting off a new collection of talks titled True Religion as we break down the book of James in this series. And so I just kind of wanted to, uh, to get uh, a little idea of who out there loves commercials. You know, I haven't necessarily had proper cable television since I graduated high school. Netflix is, is enough for me. But I think I would be safe to say that not all of us love commercials, right? And, you know, unless it's the Super Bowl commercials, uh, any type of advertisement is just too much to consume. You know, and I think we see this overarching theme in all commercials, all advertisements that they claim that their product is the best ever. You know, eating at our restaurant will make you more healthy. It's more tasty. Or shopping in our shop is going to make you more handsome or make you more beautiful wearing our clothes. You know, whatever product it is, cars, mouthwash, diet, food, you name it. We are inundated with this message that, you know, our product is, uh, is the best. And these messages, you know, claim that, they, uh, that their product is, is new. It's uh, improved. It's fantastic. It's going to be capable of changing your life. But I think only when we use it, we, we soon find out that that talk is cheap. And we realize that these claims that once persuaded us to buy the product in the first place are nothing but hollow or things that are far from the truth. And as Christians, it's so easy to uh, make or stake uh, some claims right, to other people that you know Jesus is the answer. You have an issue, well, believing in God is enough. Or, or, man, come to our church. It's going to change your life. And I think we can uh, make these claims. And although they are true, where the validity comes in is when people see the truth in our actions. We possess all the right answers as Christians, but oftentimes we can contradict the gospel with the way we live our lives. And so when this is the case, our uh, Christianity becomes less of an identity, but more of a religion. And so James uh, really outlines every chapter with this truth, that genuine faith will produce a righteous Christian life. You know, that faith is not only being convinced of the gospel of Jesus, but to be changed and to live a changed life. And so if you heard our title announce true religion as, you know, this opportunity of finally, right, our church is going to claim that Christianity is the one true religion in the world. I am so sorry to tell you, uh, but we won't be making those claims today. But what we're going to be doing this morning is we are going to reclaim the importance 
of living a godly and spiritual life. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray uh, as we continue on with our morning. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I pray for the Spirit to be with us this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit can really just extend uh, through your word, uh, affect our lives, change our lives. Help us to see the importance uh, of not making Christianity all about the religion, but it is about the identity. It is about Jesus, being more like Jesus. And so uh, help communicate to us today, uh, capture our hearts in a very uh, special, unique way. We love you. Pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. We're all saying amen this morning. Uh, And so let's start off. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And so it says here, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. You know, I want to quickly stop here. And reflect on how interesting it was studying out this intro. And you know, a lot of people read James, like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. You know, that it's a collection of disconnected talks or lessons, but it's really vital to our Christian lives. You know, and I think this is a cool snippet. If we look into it, I believe that it can unlock a whole new way of connecting with the book of James. And so we know, right, that the author of James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he was a leader in the Jerusalem church after Jesus died and resurrected. And really, the original book of James was written in the year of 49 A.D., And so it was written to Jews dispersed by the persecution of the Roman government and other religious officials. And, you know, the Greek definition of James, and this is interesting, is Iakobos. And translated to Hebrew is Yaakov. And maybe that kind of sounds familiar because what theologians and Bible scholars believed uh, is that the name James is actually derived from the name Jacob. And so most translations see the name James and so and and kind of refer to the name Jacob. And so the reason I bring this up, because remember, right, Jacob in the Old Testament had 12 sons from Leah and Rachel, which then became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so catch James or Jacob address the scattered Israelites as the 12 tribes of Israel amongst the nations. And so most scholars who connect these two pieces beg to assume that James intentionally uh, introduced the, the book in this way to encourage the scattered disciples and address them in their time of need. Like a father would to their children. And so James here is speaking like Jacob, talking to his 12 sons, which is this, all the Israelites scattered. You know, and this kind of reminds me of my relationship with my dad. And it's actually a very interesting journey. You know, growing up as a kingdom kid, you know, my dad was a lead evangelist at one point, as well as a worship leader in Manila. 
and this really helped forge this trust and honor that I had uh, really building towards my dad physically and spiritually. And sophomore year of my high school, so fast forward, my parents actually decided to divorce. And so this really just put a wedge between my relationship with him. And so what once was a relationship of constant communication would then be followed with seasons of just not talking to him uh, for consecutive weeks, even months, and then years and so just a couple of years ago, you know, time seemed to really heal those wounds. And so as I sought more counseling and made peace with both my dad and him remarrying and just leaving the church for a number of years, we started to talk a little bit more here and there. But I remember talking more uh, to my dad uh, when I was in the midst of planning out my uh, engagement or my wedding with Alicia. And so I was engaged at the time. And so I specifically remember uh, I would go on these really long drives. Uh, and, you know, I called my dad one of those drives via Bluetooth to just pass the time. And it ended up being one of our longest conversations after years of really rarely speaking. And so for a couple of hours, it was a moment where uh, my dad just kept reminding and repeating me of how proud he was uh, of me and making this decision. Uh, and then following that were words of wisdom and pieces of advice. And although I didn't necessarily ask for it, it was exactly what I needed because I was feeling so anxious about planning this wedding. And so I was feeling, you know, overwhelmed by the details, by the trials. And I knew that obstacles were going to uh, be around the corner. And so as he imparted wisdom, and even though he isn't really part of the church, he was able to recenter my focus to trust God. Uh, and through this process, he was able to calm me down. And, and really, this process is all about giving glory to God. And so I'm so grateful for my dad to do that. And so I remember how long it has been since I heard and sought wisdom and advice from a father figure. And so when I hung up on the when I hung up the phone and after we exchanged a couple I love you's, I started to just tear up because I felt like this piece of my heart was being filled. And so I tell this story because James is writing to scattered, disgruntled, hopeless, scared Israelites separated due to persecution and fear. So news of Israelites being marginalized, imprisoned, martyred for their faith were, was really the norm for these Christian believers or this community of believers, but I love how James reaches out to the Israelites. It's fatherly advice at a time when the children of God needed it the most. And it's, it's an extension of God's desire to comfort and connect with those going through a tough time. You know, it's only April. And it feels like years worth of issues have occurred. You know, problems of the world are just extensions of problems experienced in our homes, in our families. You know, it feels like as a desert 
uh, ministry, we have just been in constant prayer for the health of our family members, our friends. Uh, and even we've been praying for the health of our broken hearts as there are families out there that, are, that have lost loved ones and are now entering a season of grief. You know, and I think whatever the case may be, we are going through a tough time. And if you're in a season of great news all around you, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble. I want to say with you that God is good and and it must be nice to, to be you right now. But how many of us know that not all seasons are permanent? How faithful are you to what God is doing during your toughest seasons? In your seasons of prosperity, how is your reliance and gratitude in God? You know, I believe that James 1 is really all about the needed encouragement to get through our tough seasons. But remembering not to lose focus on our faith and trust that is in God. You know, today I want you to present to you three pieces of what I believe James wanted to impart on the Israelites as fatherly advice. So let's continue on reading James 1, 2 to 4. And it says here, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And so the first piece of fatherly advice that James is putting out there is to choose Joy. Choose joy. You know, it's so interesting how James comes swinging right off the bat. You know, James doesn't say if you face trials like it's a recommendation, but rather it's imploring you and I to always choose joy whenever we face trials. So meaning this assumes that in our moments of trials that we can actually profit from them time and time again. And it's easy to pretend to be happy, but to have a positive outlook on these issues is really God giving us the ability to choose the process of how we undergo these trials. So in our hurt, In our pain, in our grumbling, we oftentimes minimize moments that God wants to maximize. So James tells us to turn our times of hardships into times of learning. Because the testing of our faith produces what? Perseverance. So when I am surrounded by trials, God is calling me to craft a spirit of perseverance. And this reminds me of a scripture in Romans 5, 5. And Paul says this, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into uh, this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the Lord or in the glory of God. So not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. 
But not only that, perseverance, character. And not only that, character, hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So does the level of our faith help us see exactly what is happening? Seeing exactly what God is doing. You know, we learn throughout the New Testament that to reach maturation is to have complete obedience in Jesus Christ. And this reminds me of the job of a silversmith in ancient times. You know, they would take ores of lead and undergo a process called smelting. And so in order to extract the silver, they would heat up these uh, ores and uh, and to the you know point of it melting, it, it just becomes this shiny goop. Uh, but as this uh, process uh, allows this uh, this molt, melted lead uh, impurities start to kind of surface up, and so they would scrape off the lead and just go through these process of reheating after reheating, and just around the the finish line uh, and uh, until that, you know, the, just about the right time when this process is about to be complete, you know, they melt the compound and heat it in temperatures far above the melting point of silver. Uh, and, and they do this until it becomes shiny. And the, the silversmith knows exactly when it's done that uh, when they turn down the heat, they see their own reflection in the sea of silver. And that's how you know that you have pure and refined silver at that point. And so really this shows that we can't really know the depth of our character until we see how we react to high pressure. When things get heated and our situation just becomes too unbearable, how is the quality of our faith? I love how the goal of God through our times of circumstance is to make sure we see it through the end. His goal is to let our perseverance finish its work so we wouldn't be lacking in anything. And so the same way that the silversmith can see his own reflection when the silver is done, this is really a great image of our time of refinement that when God looks at our faith and our lives, what he needs to see is a reflection of himself. You know, we shouldn't resent God through the valleys in our lives, but be called to strengthen our faith. You know, God will supply exactly what you need. He will produce exactly what is needed for you to overcome. But be patient. We need to have joy we need to have hope. So in your trials, what will you choose? Choose joy. Let's, let's continue on reading James 1, starting in verse 5. It says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must not or you must believe and not doubt. Amen. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all that they do. 
And so the second piece of fatherly advice is don't be afraid to ask. You know, I remember learning from my dad as a young kid how to do things for the very first time. And so living in Hawaii, we had this uh, beautiful backyard in my first childhood home. Uh, And so there was a ton of grass, a ton of trees. And my dad came home one day uh, buying a lawnmower. And I never even knew how to mow a lawn or what it looked like. I've only seen it on shows or TV. But he tasked me to mow this lawn. And I was probably like 11 uh, or 12 years old. And so he tasked me to mow this lawn. And I just, you know, love learning and doing things on my own. Uh, So I went ahead and just mowed this lawn. And after about an hour and a half, my dad just came out to probably the worst looking lawn in the whole island of Oahu. And if you don't know, Hawaiians believe that uh, their ancestors become one with the ground, become one with the land. And I probably ticked off a lot of ancestors that day. And so my dad obviously told me to go out there, cut it again. And I got frustrated and blamed it because he didn't teach me. And so like any effective and successful father, he shifts the blame on their children. (laughs) And he said, you know, well, it's because you didn't ask. And so the first piece of advice, a fatherly advice that James gives us is all about changing our attitude. But the second piece of advice is all about wisdom. Wisdom, not in the sense of having knowledge, but wisdom in the sense uh, that we have this ability to make decisions in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so, but how encouraging it is reading down that we don't have to stumble and struggle to find the answers when we feel lost. But God helps us see that he desires a relationship that he's willing to give us the answers when we pray to God. You know, prayer unlocks the ability to gain the needed wisdom we need. And so this wisdom, James teaches us that there are three distinct characteristics. And the first characteristic of this wisdom, that this wisdom is practical. You know, the wisdom from God relates to us in any trying time during our life. You know, God's wisdom is the tool to help us overcome And wisdom is not intelligence. You know, take an example of a broken car. Right? Imagine a car on the side of the road and an intelligent person will probably go out in the car and just make a list of everything wrong with the car. But the wise person is the person that takes the most likely reason why it broke down and uses that to seek action in order to fix the problem. You know, in our difficult times, it's easy for us to point out everything wrong. But meanwhile, the wisdom we need to seek from God is uh, when we need to seek those needed answers uh, in order to overcome everything wrong. You know, the second characteristic of wisdom that God's wisdom is divine. Right. God's wisdom goes beyond common sense. And so how do we find a wisdom? And James said, we need to pray. 
We need to pray because prayer is a divine action. And Jesus in Luke 11 gives us what many of us know as the Lord's Prayer. He teaches his disciples how do we pray. Uh, But when you read it and you hear it, it's all about giving respect to God. It's all about the ability to surrender by going into God's direction. By having trust that God is going to protect us. And the third and final characteristic, it says it's Christ-like. That the wisdom of God is Christ-like. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22 to 24, it says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Of God, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so asking for wisdom is essentially us deciding to be like Christ. So when we pray, it's so much easy uh, to, to think that it's just speaking to God. But remember that when we pray, it's so much more. It's so much more than speaking with God that when we pray, we have to believe and not have doubt that God hears. That praying should never be us building these expectations that, that God is just going to grant our requests. But with wisdom, we must pray to have confidence that God will align our desires with his purpose. Amen. So let's continue on in James 1, 12 to 15. So we're going to jump just a little bit. Starting in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. And so in this little uh, snippet towards the uh, later end of this chapter, James gives us the third and final piece of fatherly advice, which is to stand firm. Stand firm. You know, James helps us see that God has a deep promise through the end of our trials. There's this uh, victory at the end of the tunnel, the light, the end of the tunnel. You know, the crown of life here described really symbolizes the victory of eternal life. But notice how he follows that with the truth that our sin One isn't a result of God tempting us, but two, it's rather us dragging ourselves through the choices we make. And so the Greek word for sin is hamartia, hamartia. And the common definition of that word is to miss the mark. You know, James helps us see that on one hand, you have the promise of God which is eternal life, if we continue to stay the course, but on the opposite end or the other hand, we have sin that leads to death. 
But when we choose sin, what happens is we purposely miss the mark. We miss the point of why God is allowing us to undergo through our trials. Under pressure. Are we going to choose to fall into our own desires or are we going to choose God? You know, God wants something more than obedience. And James reminds us of that, that when we receive the promise of the crown of life by God, if we are people that love him, we're going to receive that promise. And we obey, remember, because we love God. So standing firm means we choose to be devoted to God's promises. And it's easy to love God when, when things are comfortable. It's easy to love God when things are easy. But how is your love for God when things aren't? Persevere through the hard times. You know, it's inevitable that we face obstacle after obstacle. Problem after problem. Trial after trial. And I want to say to you guys, whatever season that you're in, James 1 teaches us that there is a power in our response when we choose to be in a position of faith when faced with these trials. So our response should be that of joy. And our response should be of us surrendering that God uh, has everything in order that he has an exact plan through everything so god doesn't focus on making you happy but rather he desires to make us holy and this reminds me of how it is baking a cake right the ingredients of baking a cake is flour butter eggs oil baking soda sugar and really, all these ingredients by themselves, when you taste them individually, is pretty gross, if you ask me. But when we mix it together, all, it all plays into this harmony of what then results in a beautiful cake. In the same way, these three pieces of fatherly advice presented by James to choose joy, which is to have faith, not being afraid to ask, surrendering in prayer, to stand firm, to redevote ourselves to God's promises. These are all crucial ingredients, all needing one another when we are faced under pressure. This reminds me of how it is baking a cake. You know, it's, uh, well, what are the ingredients of a cake? You know, flour, butter, oil, eggs, baking soda, sugar. You know, all these ingredients, uh, you know, if you taste them by themselves, is actually pretty gross to eat, if you ask me. But when you mix it all together, it, it plays into this harmony of what then results in this beautiful cake. And so the same way, right, that these three pieces of fatherly advice by James to, to choose joy, which is to have faith. To not being afraid to ask, which is to surrender in prayer. And to stand firm, which is a call to us to be redevoted to God's promises. These are all crucial ingredients when we are faced under pressure. We need all these 
ingredients. So let us remember that as followers of Christ, that we should remember the promises of God. That Jesus, because of these promises of the goodness of God, us sinners uh, can benefit from that. And He wanted it so badly. He wanted that so badly for us that He was able to undergo immense pressure in this world. And He was able to endure the cross, scorning our shame, so that we can be made new through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, guys, when we are faced with immense pressure in this world, we have to continue to persevere. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for communion. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we are honored to see the example of Jesus in this world. God, that as Christians, you are calling us to be of Christ, to be like your son who have walked this earth and faced nothing but persecution, faced nothing but pressure. Lord, I am so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for this journey as we go through this idea of true religion that James teaches us and reminds us, God, that we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to simpler times, a simpler understanding of Christianity. God, I pray, Lord, that these next few lessons become an identity or become part of who we are and not part of creating a facade or not part of, uh, of, of focusing on things that are external. But, Lord, refine our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that this communion that we're about to take can purify us and make us reflections of you that you can absolutely see our lives and be well pleased. Lord, we love you. And I pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. To God be the glory. Have a great rest of your Sunday.